the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Church of the Redeemer in Gatorsburg, Maryland. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. I want to take you to Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 23, actually verses 23 and 24. And these two verses will form the theme of today's message. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Here the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us a very practical set of instructions about our work patterns, our work responsibilities. We are to work at anything that is before us, whatever work we have to do, to do it with all of our heart, realizing that we're not actually working for people, but we're working for the Lord. So the Lord is watching how we work. The Lord is watching how you work. And so we're going to take a look today at three things that will help us to work in a way that will represent being pleasing to God and how to actually reset ourselves when it comes to work if we've drifted in some of these areas and get back on track so that we're doing all that God wants us to do in this realm of life. So number one, the first thing I want to talk to you about for a few moments today is to understand that work is a key part of your life. That work obviously is a very key part of your life. What helps us to understand the value that work has in our life and the key part that work has for us is to understand work from God's perspective because so often we have the wrong perspective of work. So let me share with you six things that the Bible teaches us about work from God's perspective. Number one, the Bible teaches us that work isn't a curse, it's a blessing, it's a gift from God. Many people think that work came along because man sinned and Adam and Eve sinned against God and because they sinned, uh, God said, okay, I'm going to punish you. You're going to have to work for the rest of your life. It's not true. Actually, notice Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. What's the next phrase? Say there, to do what? to work it and take care of it. This is before Adam and Eve even fell into sin. God gave them a job. He put them at the garden and said, here's this beautiful garden that I've given you. Now I want you to work it and take care of it. I want you to cause it to multiply and to flourish and to prosper. So God gave man a job even before man fell into sin. Now after sin, there were certain consequences that went along with sin that made the work harder, but work was assigned by God from the very beginning of creation. Second of all, work is what God does. God is a worker. Genesis chapter 2, 1 and 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. But the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. So what had God done for those six days? He had been working. He had been engaged in creation. We find in John chapter 5 verse 17, Jesus speaking these words. In defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his 
work to this very day, and I too am working. So God is a worker. Jesus demonstrated this. He taught also the importance of work in his teachings and his example. Jesus did Mark 6, verse 3, the first part of that verse. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. Before Jesus entered into ministry, you know what he did with his life? He was a carpenter. What did he do every day? He worked. He earned a living for his family. He blessed his family by work until it was the time that the Father called him into ministry. And he was known as a carpenter. Matthew 25, 21, a parable that Jesus gave, emphasizing his value, the value that Jesus placed on work. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. A servant is someone who does work. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more. What's that next word? Responsibilities. You know that responsibilities is another word for work. He said, I'll give you some more work. I'll give you some more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Paul and the apostles were hard workers. They didn't just drift through life being cared for by other people. No, they worked hard. Notice 1 Thessalonians 2.9. Surely, Paul says, you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil, notice that word, and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Paul declares his work ethic. He said, I worked hard. I toiled day and night so that I could preach the gospel to you. And then the fifth thing that we see here about God's perspective of work is that the New Testament instructs us to work worshipfully and conscientiously. Ephesians 6, 5 through 8 says, Servants, listen closely to this, servants, as workers, respectfully obey your earthly masters, but always with an eye to obeying the real master, Christ. Don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work, what's the next word there? Hardly. As Christ's servants, doing what God wants you to do, and work with a smile on your face. And work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter what, who, who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving who? God. Another thing I want to remind you of from God's perspective, that the Hebrew word for worship and work is the very same word. When the word for work from Hebrew is translated or worship, it's the same word. Avoda is the word, and the word means to work, worship, and serve. So it's translated all three of these things. And this means that from God's perspective, that these three things, work, worship, and service, notice that, work, worship, and service, need to be seamlessly woven together in the life of a believer, that you cannot really worship without properly working and if you're not properly working you're not proper properly worshiping and so to understand work and to understand our responsibilities in it we have to see it from God's perspective what did God do in the establishment of work and why is it so important the second thing I'd like to talk about for a few moments today is that work provides great benefits and opportunities to us that's why it's valuable to you and to enjoy and appreciate work you have to know the good that comes from it and appreciate the opportunities that work provides you so let's talk about what good does work do in your life why is work established by God why is it so important again we're talking about resetting our lives back to an understanding of work so that we combine our work and our worship. Number one, it's a pathway to provision. God gives you a job as a pathway so you'll have provision in your life. 
It's very interesting, always been interesting to me as I've learned something about Old Testament history, how the children of Israel, when they wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness and they could not provide for themselves, God miraculously provided them something called manna every day. You know that story, right? They go out every morning and they pick up the manna and it would rain down from heaven and they would eat it for that day and every day they trusted God for the food and God never disappointed them. They always had enough food miraculously in going through the wilderness. But there came a time when they crossed over the Jordan River and entered into the promised land when the children of Israel did this. The Bible says that the manna stopped. And from that time forward, they were to eat of the fruit of their labor, the eat of the fruit of the land. That is, they had to actually start farming and going to work because God's ultimate plan for your life is that he wants to use your job as a pathway for your provision, not just to give you a miracle every day so you have just enough to get by, but to give you something to do with your life that produces good provision for you. The second reason that work is so important is because it's an opportunity for your character development. God uses your work environment and your work experiences to shape you and to mold you and to transform you. See, God put you in that job that you're in right now, not just so that you could do something with your life, but so he could do something in your life. It's also a practical way to fulfill God's purpose for your life. God has a purpose for your life. And one of the ways practically that you fulfill God's purpose for your life is by the job that you do, the work that you have. It's also a key part of your ministry. I want to tie the purpose and ministry together because for many folks, as, Christ, as a Christian believer, they tend to think that they're not in the ministry, that only people that are in the ministry are people who maybe are pastors or people that work on a church staff or work in some, quote, ministry somewhere. But I want you to know that part of the purpose of your life is to fulfill your ministry. Every believer is a minister. Because when you were brought into the kingdom of God, God gave you a ministry. He gave you a purpose by which to live your life. And this ministry that you fulfill is carrying forth the life of Jesus wherever you go. Whatever your work environment is, you're there to fulfill God's purpose for your life and to be a minister to those people that you encounter. And that helps provide you with meaning in your life. You have a sense of value. And I'll say one more thing about this before we move to our third point. It's actually your job. Whatever work you're in right now, your job is an appointment to a personal mission field. Most of you will work in environments that are not filled with lots of Christian believers necessarily. Oftentimes it's filled with a lot of worldliness around you. And so your presence there is very important. You are a missionary. You have a personal assignment from God in your workplace. And never think that you're less of a Christian if you're not, quote, in full-time Christian work. You're just as much in ministry if you're out in the job world as we are here in the church world. Amen? Amen. Because you have a responsibility to carry the light into the world. We're here to equip you and to help you to be the best you can, but you are the missionaries in the culture around us. The third thing I want to talk to you about today is that worshiping through your work is both about your attitudes and your action. And if you're going to worship through your work, you have to pay attention to both your attitudes and your actions. Both of these are vital. And the goal of your life as a Christian believer is to use your work as a part of your worship. And the question becomes, how do we use our work, whatever environment we're in, how do we use our work as a part of worship? How do we worship through our work? But God says, no, no, time out. I want to help you to realize that these things go together, that when you're at work, You're actually at a worship service. Think about that for a moment. 
But there's something worshipful that happens. So how do we do this? I'm going to give you 12 keys. Number one, make sure that you work honorably. To work honorably means that you work in a way that's deserving of honor. That you perform your duties in an honorable way. Why? Because you're not actually doing them for people. Who are you doing them for? For God. And so the way you work will either bring honor to God or dishonor to God. And so if you want to turn your work into worship, you have to approach your work with a sense of honor. How can I be deserving of honor and how can I give honor to God through what I do? Number two, work enthusiastically. Enthusiasm is a very important thing in your life. It speaks of passion. It speaks of engagement. And the best workers are passionate about what they do and engaged with what they do. They approach their work with a sense of excitement. The word enthusiasm comes from two words, entheos, which means in God. That's the idea of the word. So when I'm enthusiastic, it's really not about me anyway. It's not about what I'm doing anyway. What it's about is I'm in God. I'm in God, in theos. I'm connected with God and what I'm doing. And anytime you're connected with God, God gives you purpose and meaning, and he gives you passion for doing what needs to be done and engagement. God is an engaging God. He wants us to be engaged with our work effectively. Number three, work conscientiously. The word conscientious means to be very careful. It means to make sure that you do what you ought to be doing, that you're attentive to the things you ought to be attentive to, that you're doing things correctly. And of course, at work, there's a vital aspect of whatever you do. Do it with a sense of conscience, conscientiously, that you're careful about your work. You're not sloppy. You're not hazard in the way that you approach your responsibilities. Number four, work developmentally. What that means is, is that in your job, you're always growing. You're always developing. David is a great example of this in the Old Testament. David was a shepherd boy. In fact, he was one of those guys that his dad sent out to the fields because basically he couldn't think of any other sons he could punish as much. David was the guy he didn't like as much. Jesse sent him out to the fields, say, go take care of the sheep. And David goes out on the backside of the hills of Judea and he begins to take care of his dad's sheep. It was a lonely environment. He's out there by himself. But David developed his spiritual life in the hillside, in the wilderness of Judea. How do we know that? Because many of the Psalms that we read came from David's heart on the hillside. He didn't waste his time while he was out there taking care of sheep. He was engaging with God. He was writing. He was thinking about his relationship with God. He was growing his life. And the Bible says that there were times when he was taking care of his father's sheep and there would be a lion that would come up and David developed his faith to go after lions that threatened the sheep. And then there there was a time when a bear tried to capture his father's sheep and David rose up developmentally in his faith and he conquered that and that's what prepared him to handle Goliath but David was always growing he was always maturing he was always learning and that's what positioned him from the hillsides of Judea eventually to the throne of Israel he learned, he developed through his journey and so let me ask you are you working developmentally are you growing in your responsibilities are you growing in your job are you growing in what you know about the work that you do are you continuing to improve number five, work excellently the word excellent means doing the best you can with what you have it's not perfection, but excellent means I'm doing the absolute best with what God has given me, the best that I can do with it. I'm going to talk to you about another man in the Bible. His name was Daniel. Daniel was, at a young age, he was transported from Jerusalem into a foreign culture called Babylon. 
He was a young man. There was a lot of potential in. And of course, you can read Daniel chapter 1. Daniel consecrated himself before God, and God blessed him in a tremendous way. And Daniel began to grow in his job responsibilities, although he was a Jew serving in a heathen nation in Babylon. He served the king of Babylon, ultimately served the king of Persia. Once there was the transition from the Babylonian kingdom to the Persian kingdom, Daniel kept his position and was actually very influential in the leadership of Persia during a time when a man named Darius was the king of Persia. And there came this point in time when Darius divided his kingdom in 120 sections. And he assigned 120 different satraps, or governors we might say, to oversee all of these different 120 areas. And he wanted to then divide those 120 into three categories. And he chose Daniel to be one of the three to oversee the 120. But then he came to this decision, King Darius did, I need to find one person I can put in charge of all of this. Out of all these 120 and then these other three categories, I'm going to give the kingdom and responsibility to one particular person. And the Bible says that he chose Daniel out of all the possibilities. Notice Daniel chapter 6, verse number 3. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because, and what's the next phrase there? Excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Why did King Darius want to set Daniel over the whole kingdom? Because Daniel had something that other people didn't have. What did he have? He had an an excellent spirit. And I will tell you that if you want promotion in your life, you want to move to the next level. If you want to grow, then you develop an excellent spirit. And your spirit of excellency will put you in a place for promotion. And then the sixth thing. I'm actually going to give you six and seven together. Work reverently and work prayerfully. Reverently means that when you go to your job every Monday morning and throughout your week, whatever your work week looks like, you realize when I go to work, I'm going to worship. That God is a part of this thing. And that you invite God to be a part of your work. That you are reverent. There's a sense of awe and appreciation and value before God for the opportunities that he's given you. There's a reverence and an awe for the job that he's given to you. And to realize that's a part of my worship to him. And then to be prayerful in that dimension, that you're actually praying for your work. Moses prayed related to his work. It's found in uh, Psalm chapter 90, verse 17. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us establish the work of our hands for us yes establish the work of our hands you know what Moses was praying when he said Lord I'm asking you to establish the work of my hands he was saying God I'm asking you to bless what I do I'm asking you to let your favor be upon what I do I'm asking that when I use my hands to accomplish work that you'll cause there to be something that will grow and multiply through my hands Lord I want to be a worker together with you Jesus said it this way, apart from me, you can do nothing, okay? Now, that's not just spiritual things. It includes your job also. You may be very good at what you do, but you'll be a whole lot better with Jesus, okay? And then number eight, the eighth thing is make sure that you work expectantly. Expect God to work through you on your job. Expect God to bless you. God wants to bless your work. God wants to bless you on your job. God wants to favor you on your job. God wants to increase you on your job. 
But there needs to be an expectation in your heart that, yes, God wants to do this for me. I believe that blessing is for me. I believe that favor is for me. I believe that increase is for me. I believe that promotion is for me. So you have to embrace these things and believe that God says this is for me. There's an expectation. Going back to the story of David, you can read this story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. David goes to the battlefield. He's sent by his father, and there's a battle going on between the Israelites and the Philistines, and uh, David's brothers are in the battle. David is not in the battle. David's taking care of his father's sheep. And so uh, one day, Jesse, David's father, says, hey, son, David, I want you to go to the battlefield and check up on your brothers and see how they're doing and deliver them some food. Take them some bread and cheese. So David shows up on the battlefield to bring bread and cheese and get some news about his brothers. So they're in the battle. They're in the war. They're in the army. He's still a little sheep taker care of of her. But he shows up that day as a glorified pizza delivery guy, bread and cheese. Doesn't seem like a very important position, does it? He's just there to give some food. He's there just to find out some information and go back home and tell his dad while his brothers are doing the big work. His brothers are the really important ones. He's He's just a little shepherd boy. But he shows up on the scene that day, and he watches this whole environment unfold where Goliath is intimidating the armies of Israel, and David watches this, and he realizes something's wrong with this picture. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? They should be defying the armies of the living God. This is not right. Who's going to fight this guy? And David says, you know what? I'm going to fight him. I'll step up. And everybody said, no, David, you can't do that. And David says, yes, with God, I can. Because everybody's looking at a Goliath. I'm looking at a God who is bigger than Goliath. And he says, give me an opportunity. I'll go out and I will slay Goliath. And the Bible says that there came this moment that David ran into the battle against Goliath. And Goliath was this huge guy. David's this puny little kid. kid. And here's this situation that he's facing something bigger than he is. But David looks at Goliath and he says, you come against me with sword and spear. But I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty the God of Israel. And then he says this to Goliath, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock you down. I'm going to cut your head off. I'm going to kill you and feed you to the birds of the air. I call that expectation, don't you? Right? Now, how could David do that? Because he believed that God was with him in his work, okay? Number nine, work proactively. There are two types of people in the world. Actually, there are three types of people in the world. You may want to write them down. Passive, reactive, and proactive. What are the passive people? Ah, we'll see. What are the reactive people? They're always going backwards. They're always a day late and a dollar short, okay? Always reacting to something. What are the proactive people? The proactive people are doing what needs to be done before, it's, before they're even asked to do it. They're doing what needs to be done before the need even arises. They're looking out on the horizon and they're doing things productive to move things forward before it is necessary to even approach it. And so there's a proactivity that brings blessing. Number 11, work wisely, gain wisdom. You know, finding out how to best work in your job, gain, gain the skills that are necessary, finding out your boss's priorities, finding out your company's values, learning your company's culture, learning these kind of things. This is all a part of gaining wisdom and being in your employment. This is how you reset yourself. And the last one that I will give you here is, is make sure that you work out gratefully. Amen? You need to appreciate 
the opportunities God has given you, the benefits you receive from your work. Don't be a grumbler. Don't be a critic. Don't be a hindrance. Be a helper. Let me talk about peacefully for a moment. So many times in the job environment, there are all kind of politics, and that's the world that you walk into. Every day you go to work, you're kind of stepping into a lion's den, aren't you? Okay, right? Right? I'm talking to somebody right now, okay? And the tendency that you and I are going to have is to let the trouble that's in our, our work environment get into us and us get into it. Because that's the environment, okay? That's the environment. And to step into that world and to let that become a part of who we are. But folks, that's not you. God didn't call you to be that kind of person. God doesn't need another gossiper on the job, okay? Amen? God doesn't need another complainer in the office, okay? God doesn't need another troublemaker in the workplace. What he needs, he needs someone that walks in and says, I'm going to walk in and be a peacemaker here, okay? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Amen? Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word and make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. Hi, I'm... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.